First Peter. Uh, this is one of my favorite, favorite letters, epistles in the Scripture, and I think it's going to bless us in a, in a beautiful way as we as a church gather around it and hear from God's Word together. And so as we were, we're going to look at this Word, I want to start with a question, and it's a question of really from the perspective of Peter writing this letter to the churches. And I want us to put our mind in Peter's mind for a second, and I want us to ask the question, if we were writing to a church that is suffering and experiencing all this kind of marginalization in culture and society, what would we write to that church? And so even from your perspective, what are some things that if we were writing to a church that is suffering and marginalized, what are some things that you think we should say to them? Don't give up, right? So a word of encouragement, right? So a word of encouragement. Who would, who would write some encouragement? Anyone, anyone with the gift of encouragement? I know there's a lot of people with the gift of encouragement in our church. So yeah, an encouraging word to them. What are some other things that we'd want to say to them? Yeah, remind them of God's faithfulness and power, right? Remind them what God is able to accomplish. Yeah, write a letter of compassion. Like, we're, we're concerned for you guys. We care about you. God cares about you too. What are some other things? Yeah. Yeah, count it all joy when you go through all these hard trials and temptations, right? God is there for you. And so there's all these things that we, we could be saying to this church, and, and Peter in many capacities says these very same things. Uh, but what I find fascinating is Peter actually says something above and beyond. Now, this week marks the, the two-year anniversary of when I was uh, working in Armenia with, with Iranian church leaders. And I remember as I was preparing for that trip to go meet with the Iranian church leaders, I, I kept thinking, what am I going to say to these people? Like, here they are under an extremely Islamic um, state. They're repressed. They're going through struggles. They have to be completely underground. Their faith is being challenged on a daily basis. There's so many complications in their life because of their faith. And I kept saying, what am I going to say to them? And I remember having this conversation with Len before I even went. I said, Len, well, he's my spiritual director for those of you who don't know. What am I going to say to these people? And you know what? My initial thought was, was encouragement, was comfort, everything we just said here. And I remember when I got there, I, was, I was, ended up talking to one of the guys I built a, a very good relationship with from Tehran. And I said, this was my struggle coming over here. I had no idea what to share with you guys. Like, is, is my teaching resonating? Is it making sense? Is it helping you guys? And he's like, yeah. He's like, Micah, we definitely need words of encouragement. We definitely need words of comfort. We definitely need words of hope. But then he told me something that challenged me, and this is where First Peter brings it out too. He says, but if that's it, the temptation for us is to only look inward. And he says, we can be so consumed by our circumstances, we can be so consumed by our situations that we turn inward 
and we become fearful, and we become discouraged, and we become overwhelmed, and our natural desire then is to be complaining about our circumstances and looking for a way out. And so he said, however, what we need the most, Micah, is he said, what we truly need is God's vision for the church, who we are called to be, what we are called to do, And what blows my mind is that exactly is what Peter does in this letter to the church. He offers this sense of encouragement. He offers this sense of compassion. He offers a sense of hope. But at the same time, what Peter's going to do is saying, here is the vision for the church. Here is what you're called to be despite circumstances. Here is what you're called to be despite everything that's going around that you're dealing with. And so this is where Peter comes from. Yes, he, he writes with the purpose of encouraging the church, but he does so much more by casting this beautiful vision of what the church is supposed to be. And so that's what we're going to be examining and looking at is all these different concepts and ideas that Scripture brings out of what the church is called to be. And so I want to jump into this study examining the question, if we as a church are called to be in the world, we're also called to be for the world. If we as a church are called to be in the world, we are also called to be for the world because as Jesus prays in John 17, what does he pray to God the Father about the disciples? Don't take them out of this world, right? He says, they have a purpose. Send them as you have sent me. Therefore, we exist in the world so that we can be a light of the presence of God in the world. And so I'm going to begin examining this text together. Um, I, I am going to read this. I, I know we're running out of time, but there's potluck after, so please forgive me. I was, in my mind, I was going to skip this, but I really want to read this. Before we jump into to Peter's letter, uh, I think there's something beautiful we can read together. Uh, who here has ever heard of the lie, uh, letter to Diognetus? Anyone? Yeah, Lee has. You're in Bible school, so that's cheating. <laughs> Uh, this, this is an ancient manuscript, 2nd century, so we're talking some dated around 125 AD, and so we're talking very recently after the letter that Peter writes and many of the epistles were written. And this is a fascinating letter of history, and I want to read it because what it does is give a, a description, a vision of the reputation of the church during this time. And so just hear some of these words and phrases and scripture of this reflection. Now, I, I condensed it a little bit, but follow me. This is the letter. It says, For the Christians are distinguished from other men, neither by country nor language nor the customs which they observe. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners or exiles. As citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of, can anyone guess? Heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men, 
and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are evil spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and yet they bless. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good yet are punished as evildoers. And he says, to sum up all in one word, what the soul is in the body, Christians are in the world. The soul is dispersed through all the members of the body, and Christians are scattered through all the cities of the world. The soul dwells in the body, yet is not the body. And Christians dwell in the world, yet are not of the world. The invisible soul is guarded by the visible body, and Christians are known indeed to be in the world, but their godliness remains invisible. The flesh hates the soul and warns against it, though itself suffering no injury. The world also hates the Christians, though no wise injured, because they abjure pleasures. The soul hates the flesh that hates it and loves the members. Christian likewise love those that hate them. God has assigned them this illustrious position, which it were to be unlawful for them to forsake. What a beautiful description of the church, isn't it? And I find that letter fascinating because what we're going to do as we study First Peter is Peter's going to give this vision of what the church is called to be, what God desires from it, what the role and responsibility they have in the world and culture and society around it. And guess what we see a very short time later? The church actually having that reputation, Amen. And my prayer for us is that as we go through this series together, as we study this book together, as we hear from God together, that this didn't just be a process of learning hypothetically what God has for the church, but instead it would actually transform us to the point where a letter could be written about Entwistle Community Church actually living up to those realities. Do you guys long for that as well? Is that our prayer? That's what I long from us. And so, we're going to deal with this first identification marker. That's what we're going to be walking through, First Peter. What is the identity of the church? What are we called to be? And the first one we're going to deal with this morning is a church of elect exiles. We're going to be looking at the first two verses, and, and here's the first two verses. I'm going to read this for us. It says, Peter... An apostle of Jesus Christ. So who's the author? Peter. Good job. If you don't get that so far, I might have to backtrack a lot, okay? Peter's the author, right? This is who he's writing to. It says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace 
be multiplied to you. So that's how Peter starts his letter to the church. And so he's, he's writing to the church, and what does he call them? He calls them elect exiles. Now, this is unique what Peter is doing. No, no other, Paul didn't start his letters like this or, or any of the New Testament authors. They don't start their letters like this, but Peter is giving this very specific identity to them. And now as we hear that word of election and exile, where does our mind go to in the story of God? What kind of people are we thinking about? Who is often called the elect ones? Yeah, the people of Israel, right? The Jews who God was bringing his redemption and reconciliation with through. Um, when we hear the word exile, who do we think of with that word? Yeah, many narratives of exile in the story of the Old Testament, the people of God themselves. And so what Peter is doing is taking these two Old Testament concepts and now applying them to the church. Now, what is he trying to communicate by doing this? Because it's quite a profound statement that he's making. He's saying, you know what? Just as the Israelites were God's people whom God was working through to bless the nations and bless the world through, you as the church now have that same responsibility. That you now are the people of God to whom he's bringing redemption and reconciliation of all of creation through. So there's that concept of elect. Exile. What does exile mean? If you're exiled from something, what happens? You're gone. You're kicked out. You're abandoned, right? You're, you're not welcome anymore. And so there's this language of exiles, meaning they're, they're not in their home territory anymore. Um, the various translations also use aliens or, or strangers or, or foreigners, and this is the concept going on. And so what Peter's talking about is not just location. He's saying something theological about the church here. He, he's teaching us about who the church is and what they are called to be. And Peter gives this metaphor then of these elect exiles to say, this is your relationship with God. You are elect in God. You are the people of God. Um, same as when we talked about adoption to the family in our last series. This is who you are in your relationship to God. And then he says... But in relationship to the world, you are exiles, foreigners, right? And then he puts these two terms together and says, this, this is how you're called to function as the church. Now, has anyone ever felt like an exile in this world? To some extent, I mean, it's, it's hard for us to think in these terms because we're part of the culture, we practice commerce, we work here, we communicate here, we have a shared history. But what Scripture's teaching us is that when we become followers of Jesus, um, our whole status and identity absolutely changes and transforms. And, and now we have this identity of exiles. And, and we experience this to some extent where this world does not feel like home, this world does not feel like it's the way that it should be. I mean, who here would say that things are going really great in our world right now, right? No hands, right? Everything's a mess. Everything's disastrous. Everything's falling apart. Well, we know that this is not the way that it's supposed to be. And we have this perception as Christians then as we realize 
that this world truly is not our home. And so, he's given us this definition of exiles. Now, I remember, I, I experienced this as soon as I became a Christian. I mean, I went to a high school with over a thousand kids, and there was probably three to four Christian kids in the entire high school. So when I came to faith at the age of 17, and I committed my life to Christ, I was looked at literally as an alien. <laughs> it was, what's happened to Micah? Like, what's going on? Like, my friends looked at me through a whole other perspective, and immediately I realized that in following Christ, my status have been completely changed. And I know for many of us, uh, as we interact with the world around us, that our very culture and society looks at us as if we're somewhat strange. Now, some of us are strange because of our personality. Anyone? <laughs> but this is talking about we are strange because of our status and identity in God. And, and so, what we're witnessing in our culture around us is what we have in Canada today is what's called secularization. Anyone heard of secularization before? And secularization is, is basically a fancy way of saying life without God. And now as we live in a culture and society and a nation that ever since the 1960s, secularism has just skyrocketed, we now function very much as minorities. We function very much as people marginalized from our own society. Why? Because our culture wants a life without God. And what do we want? We want life with God. Good job. <laughs> and so that's what we're pursuing. And so now it looks strange to the culture around us. And, and, and what we're seeing now is our culture and society wants all these things that Christianity has brought to it, but they want it all apart from Jesus. And, and so they want to see justice reigning in culture, but can we have true justice without Jesus? No. They, they, they want to see how heaven still, I mean, it's how many non-believing funerals have you been to, even atheist funerals where they talk about heaven? It's like you want heaven, but you don't want Jesus, right? It, it logically doesn't make sense. Um, we, we want equality in our culture still, but we don't want Jesus. We, we want ethics and morality, but we want to push God apart. It, it's so illogical in our culture, and we see how it's just filtering and destroying everything, and everyone gets to decide what is right. And I mean, it's the same thing as we, we walk through the book of Judges, uh, who remembers one of the main phrases of the book of Judges? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And is that not the culture we're living in today, right? It's this concept of we want life without God, but we want to have all the blessings of God. And so Peter says living in a culture like that, automatically you're going to be exiles, because you want life with God in a world that wants life apart from God. And so, this image of exile then, what's going on? The Bible, again, makes very much sense of our experience where, where we realize that we're elect and we're exiles. God loves us, 
but we're still marginalizing culture. We have God blessing us, but we have a culture that burdens us. And so there's this dual identity at place here. And so why, why exile then? What, what's going on here theologically? Um, why do we function as exiles? Well, we live in a world where Paul says our true citizenship is where? In heaven. Meaning, again, this world is not our full dwelling place. We're not created to live in the chaos and decay of this world. And so we have this idea then of functioning just as Jesus calls us to when he says, I don't want to take them out of the world, but instead keep them from evil one. And even as we read later in First Peter, we realize that, wait a second, Peter says, we are in exile according to the foreknowledge of God. And so there seems to be this purpose, there seems to be this mission of God for us as Christians to remain in this perishing world, this decaying world, this world that is absolutely falling apart, even though by nature we're welcome into the presence of God. And the question we ask then, again, is why? Well, it's all part of the mission of God. Let me bring us through some more Scripture. Well, again, in John 17, this is Jesus' prayer. He says this, He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, okay? We talked about that quite a bit a couple weeks ago. And this is the reason why. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who is their word? Who is there, perhaps, maybe? It's the, the church, the people of God. And, and so we live as exiles in this world because God has called us to be a light and a blessing to the world around us, to give them a glimpse of the character and essence of who God is as we display to God's people. And most importantly, so that we have the calling and mission to share the testimony of the gospel. The Word of God. And so God leaves us here as exiles so that we, by nature, would be sharing the testimony of the gospel. And God has used the church for that very mission. Is that making sense? This is the, I mean, this is the exact same thing that Jesus says, go and make disciples, right? This is the mission that we're called on. Part of our exiles to be on mission. Now, There's a few more other reasons Peter says we're exiles. He says it's more than just being witnesses to the gospel. He says this. He says we are exiles in the sanctification of the Spirit, which means that our exile is necessary for our own spiritual growth. We need to be sanctified, as Peter reminds us. Yes, the power of sin is broken, but the presence of sin still remains, right? Who experiences that still in their life, right? 
We have to be exiled so that God can be using the Holy Spirit to bring sanctification in our life through trials and hardships and testing, as Peter's going to talk about even more. But then he also clarifies this. We are exiles for obedience to who? For obedience to who's got their text open? To Jesus Christ. In other words, you have been called to a radical new way of life. You have been called to live completely distinct from the ways of your former life. You are called to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're no longer led by emotions or desires or control over your own life, but you submit everything to the power and lordship of Jesus Christ. This is part of the exile, this transforming factor that's going on. And so this is the first identification marker that Peter gives us as the church is that we now function as exiles. Now, here's the massive question. If this is our identity, then how do we live out of that identity? How do we live out of our identity as exiles? Well, where would be a good place to find some answers to this question? Yeah, Daniel. The Word of God, yeah, that's a very, let's narrow it down. That's a very good starting point. Where do we narrow that down to? He's given us his Holy Spirit. Yeah. Exactly. Are, are there stories of exile in the Old Testament? Yeah. There's many stories of exile in the Old Testament, isn't there? I mean, this is a massive theme through Scripture. And so where could we go to figure this out? Well, we could say, okay, well, well, God placed many circumstances of exile in the Old Testament. We ask the question, well, how did he call them to live? And and one of the, the most powerful passages that I read of exile comes from the passage in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 7. And I want to read this to us and we'll process it together. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. Who's doing the exiling here? God. Isn't that fascinating? That that teaches us something already. God has allowed exile to happen in the same way that he has us as the church in exile for a reason. So he says, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is how he instructs them to live in exile. Verse 5. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare." That's the vision that God has given His people of what it means to live in exile. And what we see is this sort of 
two directions, two polar opposites and finding the middle in this commandment because when we think of visiting a foreign country, what are some ways that you could come into a foreign country? You could come as an immigrant or you could come as a tourist, right? Now, if you're an immigrant in a country and you plan on settling there, what is your philosophy of life going to be coming to this new country? What are some things you're going to do? Yeah, adopt some of the culture, start learning the language, find a place to live, find a place to settle, try to figure out where to buy produce, right? You become integrated in the life and culture and society that you are moving towards, right? And now your focus and priority becomes all about living in this country. Sure, you may miss your old country, but this is your focus in life. Now, what happens if you come into a country as a tourist? What's sort of your philosophy of life as a tourist? Yeah, have a good time. What else are you doing? Go see the sights. Yeah, relaxation. Don't have any responsibilities. No investment. I mean, when I go to Mexico, sure, I enjoy some Spanish, but I'm, am I going to learn the whole language? No, right? And, and so there's almost this, this lack of commitment. There's this lack of care. There's this lack of concern. You're not invested at all. And what happens then as the church is we can marry, very much function in these two capacities in our culture, can't we? we can become somewhat like immigrants where we have such a focus on this world and living for this culture and society and being so integrated in this culture and society where we lose sight of the kingdom of God, where we become focused on our own kingdoms and living for our own desires and we neglect and we forget about God's kingdom and what He wants to do here on earth. On the same time, we can go to the other perspective and we can function as a, ch a church like tourists, where we walk through this world and we walk through this culture where we sort of enjoy life, but we could care less about our neighbor who, who doesn't know Jesus. We have no investment in building culture. We have no investment in justice. We have no investment in helping others and showing care and compassion. Our lives just become lives of luxury and ease, and we're sort of just riding our golden ticket to heaven, right? <laughs> Self-centered, right? And so what we see here is these two contrasts of how we easily can function as a church. And what Peter is trying to dig into us and dig into our hearts is saying, you know what? That's not what an exile does. An exile that pursues the kingdom of God because what God calls exiles to do is to plant their lives here in this world to have an investment and care and concern for this world, to build cultures of justice and forgiveness and love and mercy and grace, but at the same time realizing that our permanent home is with God in His kingdom. And so there's this eternal perspective while we invest in the temporal and to me, it's this contrast that comes even from the Lord's Prayer. I mean, when, again, I bring up the Lord's Prayer a lot, but our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, 
on earth as it is in heaven. And so what's that? That's an eternal perspective that says, I care about God's kingdom. I have an eternal perspective of what God is doing to bring redemption and reconciliation to all of creation, but I care about this world so that God would bring those kingdom realities here and now and so that we would experience those things here and now. And so this is some of the instruction that Jeremiah gives. He, he says, you know what, even though you're in enemy territory, so to say, even though this is not your eternal home, he says that doesn't mean that you just neglect everything. That doesn't mean you have no care. That doesn't mean you have no investment in this life. He says you need to do what? Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, take wives, multiply. This is the calling that he has on the people of God. And so there's this sense of, of working and thriving to see God's purposes here and now. But here's the profound part that we see from Scripture. Verse 7, the exiles are to seek what? Seek the welfare of the city. Now, this concept of welfare, the, the, uh, the closest concept that we have is sort of this peace, this shalom. Do you guys remember what shalom means? It means this wholeness, this healthiness, this, this everything is in order, everything's as it should be. And, and what Peter is reminding the church is that you as the church are constantly be called as exiles to be seeking the welfare of the city, seeking the shalom, seeking the prosperity, seeking the wholeness, seeking the, the everything made right. And so this is what Peter is diving into the church and, and, and incorporating to them is that we now have this mission to be peacemakers or shalom makers, if you want to use the Hebrew word. Whereas now we function in our culture and society not trying to escape from it, not trying to neglect it, not trying to purely live in it, but he says, you're called to create a culture of shalom, a culture of peacemaking, a, a culture that shows the world who God is. And, and so let's just brainstorm for a sec. What are some things that would bring peace to our community? What are some things that we need to display in our own character, in our own lives, in our own relationship that would show to our community what shalom actually looks like, what peacemaking actually looks like? Let's hear, just throw them up at me. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Amen to that. Is that not a gospel command? Forgive as I have forgiven you. Empathy, yeah. Not apathy, that's the other. empathy, you're right, yeah. Empathy towards one another. Yeah, Leslie. Compassion towards others. Pardon? A love towards others, right? A sacrificial love. A love that seeks the needs of others before my own. Is that not the type of love we're called to have as the church? Hospitality, right? Welcoming people in. We have a massive loneliness problem in our culture right now. Service. Yeah, service, actually working for the sake of someone else. Yeah. 
showing mercy, and especially with God, mercy that people don't even deserve at times. Amen? Honesty, yeah? Our God is a God of truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And oh my goodness, is truth needed in our culture right now in a variety of ways. Yeah, a spirit of gratefulness and thanksgiving rather than complaint, right? Does the world need to hear more complaint from the church? No, they hear way too much of that in the culture already, right? You don't create shalom by complaining about everything. What are some other things? Yeah, listening to others, inviting people to show that you actually want to listen to their story and care about them. Yeah, excellence and hard work. Whatever you do, do unto the Lord. I mean, we, we have a massive issue in our culture as well of, of people not wanting to work or apathetic in their work or even having no purpose and meaning behind work. Whereas we say, no, we work to bring honor and glory to God. Yeah. I mean, literally being a light on a hill, a city on a hill, showing this is what holiness and righteousness looks like. This is what a character of godly looks, looks like in a world of darkness. And, and we could go on and on and on right here of the many beautiful ways that God has called us to be exiles in this culture and be peacemakers. But as we begin this study together, I, I want us to be contemplative. I want us to be analyzing our own lives and asking the question, you know what, as an exile, my life isn't to be one of rejecting this world and saying, no, it, things are too tragic, things are too horrible, I'm just going to ignore everything. At the same time, it's, it's not this concept that I need to invest all my time and energy to what's going on around me, fix every problem. No, it's saying I need to be a person of shalom. I need to be a peacemaker. And I need to do that, first of all, by getting right with God. We have no hope of transforming the world around us unless we are right with God and He uses us by the power of His Spirit. And so if that's you this morning and you need to be made right with God and reconciled to Him, Many of us would love to have that conversation with you. But it's taking that status and identity as an exile and saying, this is what God has called me and especially us as the church to be working towards. And we don't need to be distracted. We have the power of the Spirit to give us focus and the power of the Spirit to actually transform our character so that we truly can be the people that God has called us to be, exiles, light in the darkness of this culture around us. And so let me pray to that extent as we prepare for communion. Gracious Father, we come before you. And Lord, as, as soon as we come to faith in you, you cry out to us, you are a new creation we are completely made new in you. We have a new identity. We have a new status. We have a new relationship with you and others in this world around us. And because of that identity, Lord, now we become exiles of this world. This isn't truly our home. 
We are truly citizens of heaven as the church. But Lord, you create us as exiles not so that we could just simply camp out and wait for the end to come or not that we could be so heavily invested in the world that you sent us into, but so that we could become peacemakers, creators of shalom to the world around us, bringing testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that as we take on this identity of exiles, that you would cast this vision before us of what it looks like in function of how we live out of that identity so that the community around us would see forgiveness and love and grace and mercy and justice and righteousness all flowing from us as your people so that not only we would be transformed as your church, but the community around us would be transformed for your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.